of studying righteousness. <clears throat> righteousness imputed, part two, righteousness imputed. Because last time we were talking about God's righteousness, the righteousness of Christ Jesus in that. We can't have any other righteousness that won't do. You remember he said, unless your righteousness exceed that of the Pharisees, you won't enter into the kingdom. Right. Now, you, a lot of people don't realize you, you would have to do, go, do some doing to have a righteousness more than the Pharisees. They, they wasn't slobs in what they were doing. They were very meticulous in observing the law, but it, we can't keep the law. That, that's what they were failing to do. And we'll look at some of that here, how that was uh, like. Like sometimes you heard of people say a fool's errand. Mm-hmm. Well, the law was given to show our weaknesses and what we couldn't do. It was weak through the flesh. That's why Peter said, well, why tell, you know, put them under the law if we couldn't keep the law? By the works of the flesh shall no, works wow. of the law shall no flesh be justified. Right. So... Herein, here, we're talking about how do we get this righteousness. And I think last week I said, when we in Romans, it says, Who shall ascend into heaven to bring it down? Or who did descend in the depths? To let, let me find that. Is in the book of Romans, the 10th chapter of Romans. It says, For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness is of faith, speaking on this wise, say not in thine heart who shall ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is, to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thine mouth and in thine heart. That is the word of faith which we preached. In other words, this righteousness is right at hand. It's the word of faith. This righteousness is received through faith. It was available. It's been being talked about. Remember, he promised a redeemer to Eve. He said that he spoke of the Messiah to her about one that would come and bruise the serpent's head of a restoration, and that's the righteousness we have to have. And no man could achieve that righteousness, and he pours it out. This is something that's freely given. It can't be bought. Mm-hmm. It can't be bought. It, it's something, it's part of the free gift that God gives. Now, let, let's go on to where it is in uh, verse 8 of chapter 45. It says, Drop down ye heavens from above, and let the skies pour down righteousness. Let the earth open up, and let them bring forth salvation, and let righteousness spring up together. The Lord hath created it. What What I say to one, he says to all, right? So we have to appropriate this to ourselves, just as Cyrus when in verse 13 he says, uh, I have, well, we'll start at 12. I have made the earth and created man upon it. I, even my hands, have stretched out the heavens, and all their hosts have I commanded. I have raised him up in righteousness, and I will direct all his ways. He shall build my cities, and he shall let go my captives. 
not for price, not for reward, saith the Lord of hosts. Just like he's saying this is of Cyrus, we should appropriate that to ourselves. We should go forth building the kingdom of God, preaching the gospel. That's what sets the captives free. So what he's saying, the one he's saying, oh, going out, making disciples, making disciples, spreading the good news. Now, there's the wicked out there. And you can't just read the Bible and understand the Bible. You can't read the Bible and just hear the word of God and through your own righteousness or private interpretation, make this applicable. You have to get this understanding this wisdom and knowledge and everything directly from God. In other words, at the revelation of Jesus Christ, that's why it's been been made available through faith in Christ. Through faith in Christ. Uh, God's righteousness shall never be abolished. Now we should add this to what we started talking about Wednesday night. Imputed righteousness. Woes for the wicked. Now, what did you open up with? Isaiah, the fifth chapter? Yeah. Uh, and I have the fifth chapter here, the whole fifth chapter. Uh, it says, woe for the wicked. Now, we're talking about a vineyard here. That's, this symbolism is of a vineyard. But just like I said, we were planting the planting of trees of righteousness. Close to the same analogy. We also have the branch analogy. We are branches if we abide in him. And we have to be lodged in him, abiding in him. All this analogy, and I said Israel was the <coughs> grafted out of, they were cut off of the olive tree, and we were grafted in. Yes. We were grafted in. And so this is his people, Israel, he's talking about Isaiah 5th chapter. 8 through the 20 verse. Woe, judgment is coming to those who join house to house and join field to field to increase their holdings by depriving others until there is no more room for others so that you have to live alone in the midst of the land. In my ears, the Lord of hosts said, he assured that many houses will become desolate. Even great and beautiful ones will be unoccupied. For 10 acres of vineyard will yield only one bath of wine, and a homer, six bushes of seed, will produce only one effort of grain. Woe, judgment is coming to those who rise early in the morning to pursue intoxicating drink, who stay up late at night until wine inflames them. They have lyre and harp, tambourine and flute, and wine at their feast, but they do not regard nor even pay attention to the deeds of the Lord nor do they consider the work of his hands. Therefore, my people go into exile because uh, they lack the knowledge of God, and their honorable men are famished, and their common people are parched with thirst. Now, here they're parched with thirst, but God says he's raining down his righteousness from in heaven. This is coming down, but... Look at the condition of these people. Are they hungering or thirsting after righteousness? Or they are more or less like the Laodicean Christians, that they're rich and have all that they need. They have need of nothing. <clears throat> Many a tailgate party have started this morning. <clears throat> I think the LSU game starts at 11 or something this morning, LSU and Arkansas. 
uh, whenever the game is. I, I don't know when the game is. But that starts at 11. People start off early, but God is not in all of their thoughts. They're going about life, and it gave me a whole ray of hope this Tuesday's election. Man, you can see, you know, it. to those that are spiritual, there were no disappointments here. You, it put more confidence that we've been praying for the nation, and we know that the doom is coming, but it looks like the righteousness of a whole lot of God's people are rising up. Yes. Man, how many people that stood for morality? And a lot of people was talking about the red wave, and they were talking about inflation and these other factors. But most of the news people were talking about how surprising this was, and that's because God's righteousness. You remember me saying this is going to be unpredictable in the times of the ends of the things that he was doing? Man, you know, as down as I have been about the nation, it strengthens me to see throughout and how many measures that was pulled on the ballot that passed how many states, 11 states, I think it was, or seven, that had passed the Medicaid law where they were putting on Medicaid. In other words, less oppression of the poor, minimum wage laws passed in a lot of states or whatever, more equalizing spending. But isn't this the works of God taking place? It is not man. So, this is not our righteousness. This is the righteousness of God reigning throughout within the earth. And unless your fallow ground is digged up, you're not conditioned to receive the downpour that's coming. It's not works of righteousness. It's his works of righteousness, not our works. It says, but the rich people are parched. In other words, those that are in the churches, I've seen where a lot of religious people were disappointed. But you know, aren't these probably the so-called professing religious people that had a wrong idea of religion and what is right? Because remember, judgment begins at the house of God. And these Phariseeic Christians, these ones that are self-righteous or righteousness within themselves, oh, we can see a level of judgment of God coming about, his righteousness, which strengthens us. It calls us the hunger and thirst for more of his word because his word, his law is what's righteous. It says, therefore Sheol, which is the realm of the dead, has increased its appetite and opened its mouth beyond measure. And Jerusalem's splendor of her multitude uproaring her revelers descend into it. So the common man will bow down and the man of importance degraded and the eyes of the proud will be degraded. But the Lord of hosts will be exalted in justice and the God, the Holy One, and God, the Holy One, will show himself holy in righteousness. That is, through his righteous judgments, there will there is a lot of things that's failing or falling or that are coming apart because, remember, the righteousness of God. I have a sermon when I was leading sermons on Sermon Audio. It's the wrath of God is revealed in righteousness. The righteousness of God shows forth his wrath. 
because that justice of God, it has his justice is righteousness for thy kingdom come, his will to be done. It's his justice coming, going throughout the earth. So where he's showing himself righteous in those that not even seeking him, there's a lot that doesn't seek God but have faith or belief in him that is going to be imputed to them for righteousness sake. His righteousness, not their own righteousness. Uh, It says, then the lambs will graze among the ruins as in their own pasture, and strangers will eat in the desolate places of the the exile. In other words, the places of the wealthy. Uh, Woe, judgment is coming to those who drag along wickedness with cards of falsehood and sins as if it were cart ropes towing their own punishment. So we've seen the wickedness of the wicked. Some of them, the disappointment, the important people have been degraded, uh, are being degraded. But we see this works in the earth politically, religiously, and in societal effects of what's going on. You know what Daniel says, knowledge shall increase in that we are increasing and being strengthened. The people of God are. Let's keep on going here. Who say, let him move speedily, let him expedite his work so that we may see it in God's promised vengeance. And we see he's taking forth his vengeance. So that's our faith increasing in him. The substance, that faith in the substance of what's happening or what's going on, his people are getting stronger because we see his promises coming to pass. The promises of God is coming to pass. Um, It says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. A woe is a judgment that's irrevocable. In other words, it was destined for Judas to betray Jesus Christ. He was a devil. Notice that it wasn't preached to Judas or whatever, even though he heard the preaching, there wasn't a personal plea to him and, and say, well, don't do this, Judas. You could be condemned for this or whatever. He says, woe be unto that man. In other words, this was destined to happen. They are children of the devil out there. They're two seeds in the earth. So let's not see everybody's going to be saved. Those that he had chosen from the foundations of the world. But aren't those are the ones that his righteousness are raining down upon and their faith waters that righteousness? In other words, their faith produces fruit. Fruits of righteousness, and that's what he's looking for, fruit upon the, our trees. We'll talk about that next week, because the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians, we see the fifth chapter, are the things of God, that character being shaped in us. It's being shaped in us, and the evil of the wicked that are calling good evil and evil good are being manifest more and more that we can separate ourselves from that which is wicked because we have to, we're being called out of Babylon. It says, be ye separate 
and, and, and but you have to be wise. So you have to be wise as serpents doing this. And wisdom comes through the word of God. Yes. <laughs> if we address the subject, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm, I'm, with the change of the weather and everything, I'm doing a lot of coughing this morning. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. But what happens is uh, wisdom, if any lacks wisdom, it says let him acts of God. So how do we obtain wisdom? Through acts and of petitioning God. He give it liberally. He give it those of us who petitions him. So that comes through knowing and getting closer to God. The promises that are made through these things. Now, let's look at Romans 4.13. Uh, I don't know if we have to look at it a little bit later in a different context, but I want to look at it right now and just give you that scripture so you'll have it in mind. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham, uh, to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. That promise was, was through the righteousness of faith. Notice that. And the only way we can get that is God imputes it to us. And what happened? Abraham believed God and he, he imputed it to him for righteousness. In other words, it wasn't a work of Abraham, but he believed Abraham. And that was when Abraham was still a Gentile. You know, Abraham was a pagan worshiper. The sign of circumcision was given to him after this. Okay, the saints have this righteousness upon believing. If Abraham had it upon believing, we have it upon believing. Because what's to one is to all. There's no impartiality with God. He deals with all of us the same way. So Romans 4, 5, 11, and 24. It says, but to him that worketh not, but believe it on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Okay, so you're not working to obtain this, but you have faith, and that faith, just like Abraham's faith, it wasn't because of works. It says he staggered not at the promises of God. In other words, it it boils down to, do you believe God? And Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him. In other words, this was reckoned to his account. Now, you remember I I was talking about judicial, Mm -hmm. judicially done and an act of adjudication. Well, it's continually being adjudicated as we take this walk of faith. As we become aware of who we are, we can access what Christ has laid up for us. Because once we believe that Jesus Christ died for our sin to reconcile us back unto God, put us in right standing. In other words, we're no longer in Adam, but we are in Christ. And in Christ, we have the righteousness of God. So now we can do the works of God. That's the only way we can do the works of God is that he is in Christ. So, but to the one who does not work, that is, 
the one who does not try to earn salvation by doing good, but believes and completely trusts in him, and that is in Jesus Christ, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited to him as righteousness. You see what I'm saying? That faith that Christ does that is credited to you as righteousness, but that's the righteousness of Christ, not our own righteousness. Our own righteousness won't get it. It's as filthy rags. So we go about dispelling anything of ours. Self has to die. We have to obtain. We have to be clothed in his righteousness. We have to put on Christ. That is, take off our righteousness. Anything that's of us has to be pulled off. It has to die. It has to be mortified. It has to be put to to be in right standing with God. Uh, Now, he received the sign of circumcision, verse 11. He received the sign of circumcision, that is, a seal, a confirmation of the righteousness which he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. This was so that he would be the spiritual father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be credited to them. In other words, now since Abraham received this gift of righteousness, that he was This righteousness was imputed to him while he was uncircumcised. Then the sign of this, the outward sign of this was the circumcision. This was the seal and sign of it. But he was already righteous so that faith would come upon the Gentiles. This is the the ones who spiritually bleed. This is the latter day, the Gentile church. In other words, you don't have to be circumcised to have the righteousness of God. It comes upon you. Remember I talked about Wednesday night, the the centurion and uh, about Cornelius, that these people had more faith than the Gentile, I mean, than the Jewish people did. See, there are a lot of people in church that don't have faith, that won't go. It's many of people in church that God's judgment comes upon those because they don't have the righteousness of faith. They think by their works, by them going to church, by them doing something, that that achieves salvation from God. Well, it's not by works, it's by faith. Faith in that Christ has done it all. It's in the finished work of Christ. If you add anything else to Christ that is not of faith, it's something you did, and Abraham w- w- would have had something to boast about if it was something Abraham did or work he did. That's why baptism doesn't save you, and that's a strong argument where a lot of people talk about were you baptized and all that. It shows that in the thief of the, on the cross, all he did was believe that he was the son of God, and he says, you'll be with me in paradise. So it wasn't a work of anything that he did. It was the faith in who Christ is. It wasn't until later on, verse 12, it wasn't until later on after God had promised to bless him because of his faith. It was because of his faith that we were circumcised. The circumcision ceremony was a sign that Abraham already had faith and that God had already accepted him and declared him just and good in his sight. 
before the ceremony took place. So Abraham is the spiritual father of those who believe and are saved without obeying Jewish laws. So this is what Abraham is representative of, the Arabs and all of these other people that believe that didn't have the law, that are not counting on the law. And you'll be catch a lot of Jews or people that depend upon the law and say, well, like the Pharisees, he was listing what all he didn't do and that he was better than the publican. No, it's by faith. And some, every we are all sinners, all fall short of the glory of God. It's just that some receive this faith, some receive this righteousness, and that's their ticket in. And the only way to receive this is through faith, through their belief upon Jesus Christ. That's why I said, he's the way, the truth, and the life. No man coming unto him by faith, but by faith. We see then that those who do not keep these rules are justified by God through faith. So it's not of the keeping of the law. It's not of any of these things justified it means being placed in right standing Amen. with God. Yes. Yes. So they're putting the right standing with God. And he received the sign of circumcision. Uh, I'm reading the same thing over here. Anyway, it says, and he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of faith, which he had yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. That righteousness is imputed unto these people that didn't receive a circumcision, didn't receive any of the other things that the, that the Jewish people received because they are their father, Abraham. Abraham was the father of those that were faithful. Yes. So that's why when Jesus, they said, well, we have Abraham to our father. He says, no, you're children of the devil because they were believing in who they were. And that's where we get a lot of people now preaching about the Jews, God's people, and God's chosen people. Remember in Hosea, he said, those that I say were my people are not my people, and those that I say were not my people are my people. So it's the spiritual circumcision. It's the belief in Christ which makes you his people. So the Jews, those that were cut off, those were unbelieving. Unbelief gets you cut off. Unbelief. And that's why it says just like the natural branches were cut off, just think about the unnatural branches that were granted, that were grafted in if they stop believing. Remember I talked about Wednesday night about it in Ezekiel where it says, if a righteous man turns away from his righteousness, which he had done, all of the righteousness he, he has done will no longer be remembered. And that Christ was calling the people into the kingdom, and he says, come on into the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. And he says, when you saw me hungry, you fed me. When you saw me naked, you clothed me. And you did all these things for me. And he says, when did we see you naked or when did we see you hungry? It says, when you did it for the least of these, you did it for me. So yes. this is people that were doing things as I was talking about this election. Mm -hmm. A lot of people voted not knowing why or what they were doing, 
but it was for righteousness. It was the righteousness of God causing this. Yes, Remember, he told Cyrus that Cyrus was doing that, even though he did not know him. Mm-hmm. See, the righteousness that we do sometimes, that righteousness that's being committed by us, it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. We don't understand why we're doing it. And a lot of people say, I'm going to do you a favor here. Well, I don't have mercy. I'm doing this. It's Christ in us. That's why none of us do it good. It's Christ in us that doeth the work. Yeah. But what happens, Christ awakens or quickens us till we realize what he's doing in us and that he's doing this through us. And that you remember I said Daniel showed Cyrus his name and that Cyrus realized this. Well, when we start realizing that our names are written in the book of life, when we realize whose we are, we, we are being quickened or made alive, we become conscious. Then we start studying God's word and walking in the word or whatever. It becomes a part of our being. It's strengthened and reinforced through faith. Through faith. Through faith, we help establish the law. So we're no longer breaking the laws or whatever, but we're not going around and say, well, we worship on Sabbath. I'm a Sabbath day worshiper or whatever. No, this is just a part of you because now this is your nature. This is who you are. You go about doing good because not to be rewarded by to, by man, not to receive all these things. It's because right doing is what God requires of you. It's part of you character now you putting that on that's that's your new nature that's your new you are new creation in Christ Jesus you understand this are we understanding this everybody's listening at this so it's not us being aware of what we're doing it's be we being aware of Christ in us that we love our enemy you don't know uh you can't love your enemy without Christ it's a false, uh, pretentious love. It's a lot of people say they love their brothers and sisters, but don't actually love their brothers and sisters. But what causes or what makes this love is that, can you open that window right there, Deacon, so we can get a little air circulating in here? So, Paul says, that that I do, he was saying, did you want to cover up with oh. the wind? But he says, that I do, uh, that I want to do, I do not. That I do, I don't want to do. In other words, now you can see there's a law within your member, but now you see something else new within your mind that's bringing you into the captivity. In other words, now we are bond servants of Jesus Christ. We yielding our members to righteousness for righteousness sake. That portion, that's what's taking over. We're mortifying the deeds of the body. We stop doing what we used to do. Yes. You know, and some people can't help from taking sh- cheap shots at people. They're always murmuring or saying under their breath or always saying something. But now you start seeing where you're not taking those cheap shots. You're aware that your mouth is your problem, that tongue of yours. All of these sarcastic and critical things you used to say, now you're seeing the light of them that that's death. So now it's like the man that was sitting in chains, you're no longer cutting yourself because this was only detrimental to yourself. 
You always had something to say. You was always popping off. But now you sit and meditate and think on what's being said and why it's being said. That's because now you're assimilating God's word. In other words, breaking up your fallow ground. You start seeing yourself as Paul did as the worst of sinners. His righteousness was imputed unto you. Now it's you unlike the Jews. Now you can see yourself for what it was and you're not liking what you see. The perception is different. In other words, the reason the view is different is because you're sitting in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. You seeing how repulsive you used to be. Or how smart addict you thought you were, that you thought you knew everything and always wanted to be in control, whereas now you humble yourself. The resistance removed. Romans 4, 19 through uh, 24, uh, it says, And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform. And therefore it was imputed to him for what? Righteousness sake. So God had given me something to do. I understand the promises of God now. This isn't my sexual virility or Sarah's appeal, sexual appeal to me or whatever. And it's not that I see she's physical capable of this. I'm believing that God's promises could come true. God's promises are true and that I can do. Uh, he empowered me to do that which he commanded me to me to do. God's not commanding you to do something and you don't have the ability to do it. The gospel gives you that power. Remember, the gospel is power, the power of God under salvation. So we're strengthened by the word. Yes. That word gives you that life. That word inspires you. Right. You're comforted and strengthened by the word. So everything is in Christ because why? He was the word made flesh. The word, he was the word, for, and he was the light. Now we see, we can begin to see, because he's that light. He's a lamp unto the soul. In other words, he's the inner light inside of our dark bodies that's, that don't love darkness anymore. The darkness which is in us, that light dispels it and casts out. So this is where that wrestling and tugging comes in. This is the, that's where we, like Jacob, wrestle with God. Well, we are wrestling with self, and that's the only way that we can do it, is put self to death. We can't allow sin to reign in our mortal bodies to where we obeying it in the lust thereof. Now, this was written not for his sake, not for our sake, but that it was imputed to him, but for also to whom he shall be imputed. Let's say that. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed. So he told you what he did for Abraham, that this was imputed to Abraham because he's going to impute his righteousness unto us. Yes. What he's done for one, yes. he'll do for all. Yes. 
My now we're saying all of his people, not all people, all of his people, the ones that he's not willing to perish. We have we act upon that righteousness, we'll be rewarded according to our works and deeds. But our works and deeds doesn't bring us salvation. If we believe on him that raised up Jesus Christ our Lord from the dead who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. So why do we preach the death, burial, and resurrection? You have to believe that our sins was imputed to Christ, that they were placed upon him, that he put us in right standing. In other words, he was condemned as a sinner, that he died for us. We have to believe in the death, burial, and resurrection because it was in his death that he died for us. He took our turn. He took our place. Yes, and now we stand hasty. We were resurrected. We resurrect daily. As repentance comes about, we resurrect daily to walk in the newness of life. Amen. Come on, You're understanding this. Let's, let's keep yes. crawling here. Yes. Clothed with the clothed with the robe of righteousness, and this goes all the way back in Revelations. This clothing in robe of righteousness, Isaiah sixty one and ten. It says, "I will greatly rejoice in the Lord; my soul shall be joyful in my God, yes. for He had clothed me. What He had clothed me with the garments of salvation." He had covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decked himself with ornaments and as a bride adorned herself with jewels. You're coming back from being a slave. You're coming back from the pig pen in the mire. And you're coming to the father in repentance. And he he had rehearsed all of what he wanted to say to the father. And he's going to say, I'm not no more worthy to be called your son. But he stopped. The father stopped him and says, go kill a fatted cow. Bring sandals to put on his feet. Bring that robe and put this robe. In other words, Christ comes and clothes us in his robe of righteousness. Yes. Because now we're pulling out. We've seen ourselves in the hog pen in the mire. We're grateful for what he has done. We want to glorify him. You see, that that's the thing with us nowadays. We're not grateful and thankful. And see, man gets the wrong idea. A lot of the people were talking about Jesus Christ, and I thank our Lord and say you Jesus Christ. Anybody can say that. that that's pretty easy to say. But are you living this? So you can get a lot of people that don't have good sense on your side just saying Jesus Christ and you're a Christian or our Lord and saying Jesus Christ and they'll believe these things. But action speaks louder than words. How are you living? Let us examine this character. We need to be fruit inspectors sometime. See, because there's a lot of wolves out there in sheep's clothing. And sometimes we have to, if we're ruling and reigning with Christ, we may be some of the ones that's bringing the axe because the axe has to be laid at the root of the tree to every tree that the Heavenly Father hadn't planted. There are some that has to go. (laughs) Some have to be hewed down at the root. Now, exalted in righteousness. And you remember now, we have to humble ourselves. That's one of the things we're, what's required in us and Michael. Yes. 
that we humble ourselves and do justly in the love of mercy. Psalms 89, 16 says, Your name, in your name they rejoice all the day, and in your righteousness they are exalted. You know, it's some people that Christ is not in all of their thoughts. They, those things does, don't come across their mind all day. And it says, in your righteousness, they are exalted. In his righteousness. Well, what is his righteousness? Amen. All his laws is righteousness, right? We delight in the law of God. So when imputed this righteousness, when imputed his righteousness, that becomes a way of life for us. That's our delight. That's why in First John, he writes, he says, we keep, we have the petition we ask of him because we keep his commandments because his commandments are not grievous unto us. But do we walk around saying, well, look, let me keep this commandment. Let me keep that commandment. No, because it becomes ingrained in that circumcision where we believe God. That's when he writes it up on our hearts. In other words, this becomes who we are. This is our nature. That's why it's not grievous unto us because we delight in the law of God. Through faith, we help establish that law. But we're not pointing at people and saying, oh, no, you broke that one there. You're a lawbreaker. No, we're more like Jesus Christ. He says, go and sin no more. Well, he knew the woman had sinned, but he told her to go and sin no more. See, you have to be gracious. You have to be merciful because I was talking with someone this weekend. He was asking me the definition of mercy. Mercy is God. God is mercy. He's the God of mercy. He's a great merciful God. So if we're made in Jesus Christ's image and likeness, the don't we have to be merciful? Yes, yes. That has become who we are and what we are, a merciful people. For who mercy shows mercy, mercy is shown. If we're not merciful, God won't show us mercy. If we're not forgiving, God won't show us. So we're not looking for a textbook definition. We are the embodiment in that. You remember it says God was incarnate, he in Christ Jesus? Well, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Yes. So, in other words, the Father was incorporated in him. If you've seen me, the Father is just like I'm representing the Father. I mean, the express image of the Father that God had. Right. We have to be in that likeness. That's what he's doing. That's what the Spirit is doing. Isn't it making us in his image and likeness? Okay. That's why some people that says that's uncharacteristic of you. That's something that's way out of the pale. You know, I was thinking about, you know, I'm going to start seeing my wife's foot doctor, a podiatrist. I, he was doing some work this week, and I was talking to him or whatever, and he was working on some feet, and uh, I was talking to him, and he was just talking, and, man, he was talking good. I said, See, because if you sent to, you, if you're doing what God had sent you to do, did, did he glory in doing these things? Yeah, to the glory of God, the work he was doing, he glorified God in it. He didn't have to be a brain surgeon. He was a foot surgeon. Remember, didn't nobody want to wash their feet? Jesus bowed down, he took the towel and he washed his foot. He said, I want you to wash each other's foot. This fellow, he said, he was a humble, he was scraping and cutting and clipping on somebody's feet or whatever. But he was just as prominent as that woman outside the building 
that had ran her brand new Jaguar up in the dentist's office and towed a building thing up and the car was still good or whatever. But she was walking around blaming the car. And I was saying she could blame that car all she wanted that it reared in gear or whatever. But now that car is just like the trees. You remember Jesus Christ when he was coming in and say, he says, if y'all don't cry out, these stones will cry out. If they didn't praise and get, well, that car might cry out against her. If she's not telling the truth, there's a black box in that car. Those computers in those cars can tell when those brakes were hit and did that thing jam gears or not. That's why when the airplane crashes, okay, you saying this and that, that, we'll find out whether it's pilot error or not because this computer, this black box, will tell us what happened. What a computer in that Jaguar is going to go back and tell them what happened, whether she was right or not. But this guy inside, this lowly guy that was doing what God said, he said he didn't seek to be rich. Him and his wife says they just wanted to live comfortable. They didn't want to have the new car. I said, that sounds like King Lemire in the book of Proverbs that was saying that he didn't want to be wealthy or whatever unless he forget God. So you don't have to claw your way to the beginning of the line to buy a lottery ticket to win this $1 billion lottery. If that's what you do, buy a lottery ticket, you can buy a lottery ticket while the lottery thing is at $10 million or $5 million or whatever. But to say the line gets longer when it's a billion dollars or $2 billion or whatever. Is that being driven by greed or that you could win the lottery, though? See, that that calls out a different person now, you know, because now it's access. You wouldn't be just as happy with $1 million? <laughs> yeah. I, it, it befrowns me, you know, people doing that. It's, I don't know. It says, they rejoice all day long. The Living Version says, they rejoice all day long in your wonderful reputation and in your perfect righteousness. That's what you're rejoicing in. That's what I say. This election is not about a particular person or whatever. But it was the righteousness of God that you see God's in charge. God's running all things. The sovereignty of God. That's what the overview of this chapter we're seeing. The sovereignty of God. Even though we see the providence of God in it. In other words, God directing Cyrus. God's directing and leading him and holding his hand in righteousness. That's what we're looking at that, that God's leading us in righteousness and he's pouring his righteousness out upon us. But as we dig up our fallow ground and follow that righteousness through faith, you know what begins to happen? We hunger and thirst after his righteousness. If you taste of the Lord and see, you begin wanting more of this to please it. It's very addictive. It's addictive. It's like salt water. They tell you not to drink salt water at sea because something about the salt, it creates a thirst in you and you'll drink it and drink it, but it'll never feel it. It's not not feeling. But see, see, the word of God satisfies us. The word of God gives us joy and peace. So the world, that's a piece of the world. The world can't give you this peace. You can try and do everything, but in this commotion, there's no joy and peace in it. But that's why I say the difference of definitions, because God gives a peace and a joy to the world, King. It's different. God's righteousness is different from our righteousness. And that's why it says, unless your righteousness. 
You can't make it with your... You have to have His righteousness. Here's one more by Paul. A desire to be found in Christ. A desire to be found in Christ. Philippians 3, 8-9 says, But more than that, I count everything as lost compared to the priceless privilege and supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, that he is in growing more deeply and thoroughly acquainted with him, a joy that's unequal. For his sake I have lost everything, and I consider it all garbage so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, that is, believing and relying upon him. Not having any righteousness of my own derived from my obedience to the law and its rituals, but possessing that genuine righteousness which comes through faith in Christ. That's the one because Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees as touching the law nearly perfect. But see, now in Christ he finds something differently. He counted all of that as lost. So we're not counting the world as lost if we're running after the world and pursuing the world. It says, Seek ye the kingdom of God and his righteousness. These things will be added unto you. But if you're seeking these things through the world, Mm. seeking these things in a different way, it's not going to come. And if it does come, you're not going to be satisfied with it. It's a difference. Um. now, glory in having it of Isaiah 20, 45th chapter, the 24th through the 25th verse says, It shall be said of me, only in the Lord our righteousness and strength, to him people will come, and all who were angry at him will be put to shame. In the Lord all the offspring of Israel will be justified and will glory in God. In other words, all of those that are born of God, that receive this righteousness, will come to him. Jesus said, none shall be lost. All that the Father giveth unto me will come unto me. That's why when a teacher, a preacher, or someone starts, a a parent sees their children hungering after something, they're continually feeding that child. But those that really don't have the appetite for it, well, I may go to church today. I may go, but it's a game on. I have this to do. I have some. You remember when the king was inviting them and some had a wedding or tea and some have other things? But is it your utmost thing to render the house of Lord to, to the house of the Lord as much as you can? To learn more of him? So if there's something that between you and God, you glory in an idol or something in God's second place, and you won't be feel that way. Because that idol is blocking your view of God. It's blocking you from eating. It's like desserts. You know, parents uh, always tell the children, well, no, you, it's not that the, you, they don't want you with the ice cream or the banana pudding or whatever it is that you desire is that they say this is going to spoil your appetite. This is going to stop you from eating that which is necessary. So we must eat that which is necessary and then we have access to those things that fulfill us bodily. So I'm not saying don't eat, but eat the word first. 
Let that proceed first in your life. So I told you the exhortation to seek. Not, not that you're seeking after righteousness because he gives you this righteousness. We're not seeking after. It says pursue holiness. Mm-hmm. Now that's a whole different teaching, the holiness, the righteousness, that holiness. But it says pursue holiness. But it says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Uh, In the Amplified Version it reads, But first and most importantly, seek or aim at or strive after God's kingdom and his righteousness. In other words, his way of doing and being right. The attitude and character of God and then these things will be added unto you. Uh, I'm not going to get as far as I thought I was today. Uh, Gentiles attain what the Jews could not attain or did not attain. Romans 9.30 says, What shall we say then, that the Gentiles, which followed not after righteousness, have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith? It reads in Amplified, What shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness, listen at that. You remember I told you about, Sister Jackson, about pursuing righteousness? Who remember that? That was Wednesday night. Pursuing righteousness. Well, we don't pursue righteousness. The Gentiles didn't pursue righteousness. You remember I told you? uh, Well, the Gentiles didn't pursue after this. They wasn't even seeking after it. But you remember, righteousness is poured out on the earth. Cornelius and the centurion, they wasn't pursuing after God, but they were doing right things or whatever. But they didn't know it, but God had already poured this out upon them as Cyrus was. He was doing what was right, what God wanted to be done, and he didn't even know God. Sometimes... We do things not being aware that this is what God wants to be done. It's it's an anti-type of a a Syrian king who was destroying God's people who did this. This is what God wanted to do, wanted to be done, but it wasn't to please God. And he he was doing God's will, but it wasn't through God's divine providence this was his self-will. This is was him doing this. In other words, that's why he, our righteousness is filthy rags. He was doing this himself. It wasn't the providential hand of God. It wasn't God's leading and guiding him into this. Just like the people that fed the needy and cast out devils in Christ's name. This is what they wanted to do. A lot of times, People do things for their own glory and it's not being led by the Spirit of God. It's not the Spirit of God doing. And that's why it says they receive their reward because they got prominence and the accolades that they wanted because Christ, they never had a relationship or knew Christ. He says, I never knew you. Yes. So the Gentiles received righteousness even though they hadn't sought a relationship with God. They obtained righteousness, that is righteousness which is produced by faith. Their faith, later they found out through the preaching of the word. That's why when Cornelius came to Peter, Peter was sent to preach. 
And he baptized Cornelius and his whole household. See, preaching, faith cometh by hearing the word of God. So faith cometh through hearing and believing the word of God. But it's already there. God had already, you remember I told you the trees of God's planting? Mm-hmm. It's already planted in his righteousness, but it comes about through faith. This righteousness of God comes through faith. You remember Abraham? He was accounted righteousness, but it was already through faith that God had imputed this to him. The seal of the sign of circumcision came later. This was just an outward thing saying that he had accomplished what God had showed the sign for. Blessedness of those who have this righteousness. Not that it brings blessing, but it says blessed are those. The blessing is in the fact that you have this righteousness because remember I told you war and destruction to those that don't have the righteousness of God unless your righteousness exceed that of the Pharisees. So you, you, it's no way you could be blessed if you don't have this righteousness. It, it's not that the righteousness brings blessings, that these blessings come. It's you're blessed because of this. Yes. Listen at this. Romans, the fourth chapter, in the sixth verse. In this same way, David speaks of the blessing on the one who God credits righteousness apart from works. In other words, it's not a work. It's not anything that you have done. God had attributed or God had blessed you because of these things. Uh, Let's start here uh, on verse 6. And in the same way, David speaks of the blessing on the one to whom God credits righteousness Apart from works. This is in the book of Psalms. It says, Blessed and happy and favored are those whose lawless acts have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered up and completely buried. That's the blessing because God had justified you. He had put you in right standing. All Everybody's the same. You're sinners, you're worthless or whatever. But the blessed, these are blessed because God had forgiven their sin had covered it up and imputed his righteousness to them. Whereas these are cursed because this has not happened unto them. It says, blessed and favored and happy is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account nor charge against him. And is this blessing only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say, Faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. Go slow with this now. Faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it credited to him? How was this imputed to Abraham? Was it after he had been circumcised or before? It was before. It was before. Not after. But while he was uncircumcised, he received the sign of circumcision, a seal, a confirmation of the righteousness which he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. This is the righteousness he had by faith while he was uncircumcised. This was so that he would not 
that he would, this was so that he would be the spiritual father of these Gentiles that we're talking about, that they hadn't pursued after this, they had 